0: This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by X. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images, and welcome to this episode of the Photography Experiment Podcast. This is episode 30, and today's special guest is Michelle Spack. and I think you will be blown away by this photographer. She is, well, she's incredible. <laughs> First of all, not only at lighting and creating the kind of images that she creates, she is also so, so good at sales and what I was blown away by, and I'm sure you will be too, is the similarities between selling motorcycle and automotive photography to portrait photography. It's almost identical. So I know you're going to pick up a ton of great ideas, not only about photographing motorcycles, and cars, and the business side of that, but also the lead generation, the pre-sales conversations, the location scouting, the image creation, which I was really surprised by, and the follow-up sales process. There is a ton of good stuff that Michelle shares in this interview, so I know you're going to love this one. Before we jump into this interview, I have to give a massive thanks to Imagine AI for sponsoring today's episode, for making the episode possible. If you want to cut down your editing time or you've been thinking about outsourcing your editing, then do yourself a massive favor. Go and check out Imagine AI. I think you will be blown away. I'm going to share a little bit more about them later in the episode. All right, let's get into this interview with Michelle. Today's guest has been shooting for over 15 years and her byline reads, unique passion-fueled professional automotive photography of your pride and joy creating artwork for your walls that will last a lifetime. But it hasn't always been all about incredible images of beautiful motorcycles and fancy cars. She started out with the idea of being a landscape and animal photographer before moving on to portraits. And that was about 12 years ago. Then, in 2013, she photographed her first motorcycle and automotive photography has been the focus since. Now, When you think about car and bike photos, I don't want you to think about the classified images that you see online from someone selling their car or motorbike. The images that our guest creates are literally works of art that require fantastic imagination, expert lighting skills, and an understanding of composition any photographer would die for. I'm talking about Michelle Spack and I'm rapt to have her with us now. Michelle, welcome.
1: Hello, thanks for having me on
0: <laughs> Now you have to tell the listener what time it is where you are as we're recording and what you're drinking right now
1: Oh no, I can't admit that It's 5am uh, it's <laughs> over here <laughs> And uh, unfortunately I have a Red Bull in hand And anybody that knows me well knows that's my go-to in the morning I don't actually like coffee, so <laughs> that's my caffeine
0: So you start the day every day with a Red Bull
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Can you start by filling us in on who your clients are? Are you photographing for, for online magazines, for people selling their vehicles, people who love their vehicles? Who are your clients?
1: It's mainly people that love their vehicles or love the lifestyle that their vehicles give. I have done a few commercial jobs. But because my style is very, very dramatic, it's, it's more for the personal touch than it is for something that's got a heavy brief to it. I like to be very creative when I go and shoot. And it's a mix of kind of guys and couples and females as well. It's, it's kind of quite a big, broad mix of, of people that come to me.
0: Wow. Okay. And so, how does it work? Let's say I've got a motorcycle. I love it. I love the lifestyle. Does someone usually just come across your photos online? Are you running ads? Are you marketing? Like, how do they find you? And then what happens when they contact you?
1: So, before the amazing 14 plus months that we've just had, <laughs> a lot of people found me from exhibitions. That was kind of my biggest thing. I'd go to bike shows, display the work, which really helped it to speak for itself. And that would be the main way people would find me. And then the secondary way was kind of the Instagram, Facebook, social media side of it. And they were sort of the two top areas, especially because in the, um, I mean, I've only just started doing the car side of it, but in the um, motorcycle world, everybody kind of gets very connected to each other and people meet each other and someone has it done. And then they mention it to someone else. It's kind of that, that word of mouth thing as well you just kind of get known it's it's hard to explain I guess for someone who's not in the motorcycle industry but once you're in there it is very much a connection based thing if that makes sense please have a disclosure on here saying it's 5am and I hope I make sense today <laughs>
0: <laughs> no you do you do so you ride motorcycles yourself is that how you're making some of these connections
1: at the moment, I actually don't have a bike, but I do ride myself. Um, at one point I was because I was riding. But to be honest, it's easier for me to head down to a show and chat to people there and um, get onto groups and also just to exhibit my work. That's kind of I have to admit the last, you know, since lockdowns and everything else over here and I imagine over there, too. That has to be one of the hardest things I've gone through is losing my exhibitions in the last, however long, not on a negative note, because I've looked to do a lot of other stuff and it's, you know, COVID for me has been a massive eye opener on all sorts of things, but um, that would always be the main thing. Even if they'd seen me on social media, when they then met me at the exhibitions, they'd already know who I was. The connection was already there. So there was no barrier to booking,
0: Got it. So when you say an exhibition, like what is that? Is that a launch of a new motorcycle? Is it a collector's exhibition? What are these exhibitions?
1: So mainly they're motorcycle shows that happen all over the UK. So there'll be some local small ones and then you've got your bigger ones, like the ones at the NEC Motorcycle Live and things like that. So they're more that kind of style. But then there is times where I've been invited by local shops motorcycle dealers, where they've got an open day and I'll go down and put some of my work up. I've got one shop that actually has quite a bit of my work in anyway on their walls with my information and stuff on there as well.
0: Does that get you bookings?
1: Oh, 100%. Well,
0: okay. So what's interesting to me is I know that there, and this includes me, I've tried to photograph in the past or many years ago people that are into fitness, so gyms, people that go to the gyms and make themselves look great by working out and dieting. And I've even put images up inside gyms trying to generate work. And I've got to say, it totally flopped. Like, you know, I might get one or two bookings over the course of a year. It was just a total waste of money and too big an investment. Why do you think it works for the motorcycle industry?
1: That's an interesting question. Well, I think when you do stuff like that, especially having it in the shops, you have to have a real connection with the people in the shops. So I quite often will photograph the people who are there, the staff with their bikes. And that makes quite a big difference because they'll then push you on their social media as well.
0: Right. Okay. So they actually know you, you know them and they're talking about you and recommending you to their clients. Is that the way it works?
1: Yeah. I think it's really important to make sure you have that connection with the people behind it. You know, some of the stuff on their wall is them. So some of their staff is up there. It's, more getting out in front of them so they might not necessarily come and say oh I've directly booked from there but when I go and do say an open day at the shop they're like oh yeah I've been looking at your work for a while I've really wanted to book but then you're in front of them because you're doing that open day at the same place does that make sense?
0: It does yeah so let me just take you back to the exhibitions because are these indoor exhibitions or are they like the exit well, I don't know if you call them exhibitions, but I have or in my local area I see car clubs getting together and they'll all bring their, their prides and joy out to the local park or field that's organized in one of the local communities and they all drive there and display their cars for a day and then they then they all head off at the end of the day. Is that what you mean? Or is yours like a, a big setup in- both. Right, okay.
1: <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> it's wherever I can get with my stand and my work. I think the thing for me is the product that I produce at the end. So I have a very specific finish. I very niche down in what I give. And that is those beautiful aluminium wall portraits on the metal. And seeing that in front of them, rather than just on social media or on a website, that's almost what converts them. They see it in big, you know, a 60 by 40, 40 by 30s, because I don't display anything small. And that is where something just sort of clicks for people.
0: Right. Yeah, I can totally imagine that. I imagine those metal prints, they must just absolutely shine that size and the way they look, the way they're finished on these stands. So let's say I'm at one of these exhibitions. And why don't we talk about a specific job? And I think the most recent one I can see on your website is the Yamaha R1 photo session. Oh,
1: beautiful bike.
0: Are you happy to talk about that client?
1: Yeah, more than happy. This one was actually more of a portfolio update for when we come out of lockdown. (laughs) So the more recent couple of shoots I've done have been not so much the paid clients. They've been, right, I haven't shot anything for the last 12 months because I haven't been allowed and I need to get some fresh stuff.
0: (laughs) Okay. So this is a portfolio builder. So do you do this for free and do you advertise it or do you go and seek out someone with an incredible looking motorcycle that you think would be a good fit for your portfolio?
1: I seek out the bikes or the cars and make sure they're going to be a good fit. It's important to me to make sure. I'll put out a call out. I'll be like, right, I'm looking for for something. It might be in a certain area if I'm travelling or local to me and then I get them to send me pictures of the vehicle so that I can choose a specific vehicle. They don't get Anything big, they get social media images. So if they do want anything for their wall, they still come back and they get a discount. So there is still the buying there. So the buying opportunity is still there. But for me, because of the way what we've had the last, you know, no one's ever been through it before, I just want to get stuff up.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. I totally get that. Okay, well, let's use those images for an example because I think that they're absolutely gorgeous. They are stunning photos. So let's say I'm that R1 owner which I'd really like to be, and uh, let's say I am, and I see you at an exhibition, and I fall in love with your work. My first question is going to be, uh, I'm guessing this is true to you as well in real life, is how much does this cost? Yeah. Is that what you get?
1: Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, which is interesting. One of the things I will say is I've learned to be very confident with how much I charge for this because it's not something that is – Uh, It's a very heavy process. The shoot itself is three to four hours. So I'm not scared of saying the price, so to speak. And I'll be very upfront because I want a specific level of client and I actually only want between 20 to 30 commissions a year. So I'm looking for something very specific. I'm not looking for everybody, if that makes sense. So I will be very upfront and I'm like the session starts from £495 and that includes a small alcove wall portrait and everything from there. And usually what I get is the sizes that are actually on display is what they ask me the price of. So
0: like the 40 by 60?
1: Yeah, so that's 1299 for that size.
0: And that's British pounds?
1: Yes. I don't know what that is in dollars, although my prices are just going up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty much, almost double. Okay. So I'm chatting to you. I've fallen in love with what you're displaying there. You've told me it's four ninety five for the session. I tell you that I love the big wall art. You tell me that's twelve ninety nine, dollars and I'm okay. I'm all in. What happens next?
1: So I take a booking there and then with the money. I usually have a, a really nice gift pack that I give them that explains how the session works so that they fully understand it from start to finish um, with a nice little voucher in there. And I take their details as well so I can touch base with them the next day and start getting them booked in. Some of these people can do very quickly. Some of them, you know, it's a few months away. It does depend because I do travel all over the UK. So I have to kind of, balance where I'm traveling to and try and get them in at the same time. So we work out a day afterwards.
0: Got it. Looking at your photos, I mean, it looks like you've done some pretty serious location scouting. You're taking a lot of lighting equipment with you. Do you do that scouting? Do you talk about what the motorcycle owner should be wearing on the day? Like, is that all worked out beforehand?
1: Yeah, I get them to send me a picture of the bike, even if the bike is standard. Most of the time, it's not. Very, very rarely do I shoot a standard bike anymore. Most of the time, they've had some sort of customization done to it or different colors that R one that was, a, I think, a custom paint job. He's got another bike that actually matches, and I want to get them together. So, yeah, so we kind of – I get him to send me the information. We look at the location of either where I'm traveling to or here, and we will actually – I now do a Zoom meeting before. Now everybody's got used to Zoom where I will chat to them about the locations that I've come up with and about what I think will suit the bike. But I do also ask them if they have any locations. So I have previously photographed a couple who have had two bikes and they specifically wanted this place on the seaside where they always go together to get fish and chips. (laughs) So I actually photographed them with fish and chips on the seafront with the pier behind. So sometimes they've got something specific that they want and I usually shoot two or three different locations on a session so that they've got a bit of a choice.
0: Okay, so if you're travelling across the country though, Michelle, are you scouting these locations, if they haven't given you any, before the day or are you whizzing around in the day trying to find something, when do you find the actual spots you're going to be photographing in?
1: Google is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> The little man on Google where you can walk around the roads is a massive friend of mine. Right. <laughs> so I'll actually wander around. I'll have a look at Google and I've got used to kind of finding industrial areas or, you know, you kind of look at the the map in, is it the survey mode where you can see the buildings and stuff from above? And you kind of look for something that stands out and then you drop the little man in and wander around. <laughs> And then the morning before the shoot, because I much prefer to shoot towards sunset and that afternoon, evening light, I usually spend the morning then double checking all the locations I've come up with to make sure they haven't changed since the Google man walked around.
0: (laughs) Right. I'm not surprised that you like the afternoon light, but I imagine looking at your work, it wouldn't really matter that much because it looks like you're using so much flash and supplementary lighting that the actual daylight wouldn't matter so much. Am I wrong there?
1: No, it doesn't matter so much now, especially with um, HSS, high-speed sync, I can never pronounce it. Um, when I first started, it didn't – a high-speed sync wasn't a thing and it's kind of just continued from that. But plus, I can get quite a lot of shots in the sunset of silhouettes with a sunset behind and – just some nice shots and people do seem to like it. So I try and mix those in with every session.
0: Okay. So if I'm the R1 owner, I meet you at one of these shows, I've paid you my booking fee. I know that I want those 40 by 60 in my home to hang in the, in the home for $12.99. It sounds like you're still shooting a lot more than that one hero image. I mean, you must be making bigger sales at the back end once they see the images.
1: Yeah, I'm shooting mainly, I will chat to them about their wall space beforehand. A lot of the, I don't like to call it sales because I don't really feel like I'm selling. But a lot of the selling that I do is pre-shoot as well, because I'll be like, do you have the wall space? Where are you thinking about putting it? actually get them to send me pictures of where they want it on the wall as well mainly so that if there is a space where there's a portrait that they're thinking of getting it. Because I I predominantly shoot landscape, but if they show me a space that I'm going to need to shoot portrait, I will shoot portrait. So a lot of my stuff is pre-sales. Although I'm doing about three, four hours, I'm probably showing them around 20 to 30 images max because there's a lot of detail going into one image. Specifically, the more impactful shots, but I also do close ups. So I'll do close ups of their vehicle if they've had something customized, like a specific tank painted, then I'll go close up to that. And quite often, then they'll buy the big one for the wall and they might buy like a cluster of four to go around it of the details or things like that. If that makes sense,
0: yeah, absolutely. I love it. So this sounds like a real Portrait photographer's workflow, but you're doing it for automotive clients. Yeah. This is exactly how most portrait photographers would sell. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. So, on average, do you know your numbers? Like, on average, do you know what clients spent?
1: Just uh, around 2000 is the average from clients.
0: Right. And is that including the booking fee? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, two
1: and
0: a half thousand British pounds on average.
1: Yeah, the booking fee is usually forgotten with by the time we get to the sales <laughs> bit.
0: <laughs> That's so good. Fantastic. What a great business. Okay, so tell me about the shoot. So I'm the R1 owner. You come in to see me. We've got the date. It's here. I mean, I guess I just have to ride my motorcycle to the location and I've got to bring some cleaning products. Yeah. What are you turning up with camera wise?
1: I actually, as well as the camera, I actually turn up with my own cleaning products as well. I oh, do. You? So they don't have to carry all of it. So I have a, because that's why I travel in the car, because of all the lighting kit and the camera kit. But I actually make sure I've got my own cleaning products with me so that I can clean, especially if they forget it or, you know, things like that, because editing on a non-clean bike is right there. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I do carry my own cleaning stuff. But camera-wise, I'm on a Nikon D810. Okay.
0: Okay. So you're shooting high, high res with the 810. Just let me ask you quickly, with the cleaning products, are you bringing things like tyre black as well? No. Okay, so they're looking after that. You're just really finishing off and giving a little sparkle at the end.
1: Yeah, I advise them to give it. I mean, everybody does. They all clean it before the shoot anyway. I'm literally wiping off the stuff that's happened on the journey to the shoot or the journey from one location to another.
0: Okay, and are most clients happy to get in the photos with the bike or only with their helmets on?
1: That's an interesting question. Most of them are only with their helmets on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, I I guess that, but I wanted to make sure.
1: If it's a couple shoot, then they tend to not worry so much because they want a picture of them too with the bike, so they do have their helmets lids off for those.
0: (laughs) Do you call them lids?
1: Yeah, I call them lids.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So good. Okay, so you put the bike into position and the owner as well, if they're going to be in the photo. You started telling me about the D810, I'm guessing tripods and lighting gear?
1: Yes, yes. I'm running off the uh, Ellencom Codras just because they're so portable and so powerful. And, yeah, and I've got a tripod as well.
0: And then sandbags for the lighting stands or not?
1: It depends I do I keep sandbags in the car all the time just in case because I know what I'm like and I forget to put them in <laughs> so I do have them if it's really windy one of the things that's in the pre-consultation is that if it's super windy we're gonna have to move to session I've learned to make sure that that is part of the information they get because it can be a beautiful sunny day but we could have 20 to 30 mile per hour winds and I'm just like the lighting's gonna end up in france or something (laughs) (laughs) what kind of modifiers are you using on the lights strip boxes is pretty much all i use it's really really important when you're doing automotive photography not to get those highlights reflecting in the vehicle and unfortunately with anything that's a hard light any flash guns things like that you'll get those really I'm trying to to be polite about this, the really harsh, like little dots on the the paintwork. And you just kind of, that's where you zero your eye in. There's, There's not, whereas with a strip box, you get a smooth line and it's just a smooth, soft light. The only other thing I'll use is a reflector dish for the floor and some of the background and sometimes for the person.
0: Okay. So hang on with the strip boxes, are these like six foot, like two meter type strip boxes or smaller?
1: 130
0: by 50. Okay, yeah, so, so pretty large. <laughs> yeah. And how many of those, roughly? I've got two. Okay, so just two strip lights, okay, and then you're using reflected light yeah. after that?
1: Uh, like a little reflector dish that's a 26-centimeter reflector dish. I literally don't have much kit as people think I'm going to have.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the reflector, do you, is that like a beauty dish like with another strobe?
1: It's like a deep.
0: Dish, oh, yes, okay,
1: yeah, yeah, it's like a deep. I call it a mini maxi, but no one will ever understand that except for one person (laughs) because the bigger version is called a maxi, and I don't understand why the smaller version isn't called a mini maxi. I just
0: (laughs) fair enough, (laughs)
1: but yeah, it's a 26 centimeter reflector dish if anybody wants to look it up, but that's what I shoot on the person or on the background,
0: right? Okay, so talk us through. Your process. So you get the bike in position. You've got your composition sorted out in your head. Is your first thing to set your exposure for the background and then start overriding that with your flash. Yes. Okay. And do you bring one flash in at a time or are you just sort of balancing things as you go?
1: So it depends on what I'm shooting. So I will layer the images of the bike or the car on its own. So that might be a composite of say twenty images where I've moved the flash round. Whereas if a person is sat on the bike, you can't physically do that because they will not keep the bike still. And with those images of a person on the bike, that is building the lights around.
0: Okay. You just blown my mind here and I'm pretty sure the listener caught that too. <laughs> so your images, these are composites.
1: Yeah. Most automotive photography is composites.
0: Okay, so that's why it looks like you're, you're shooting with a lot more than two or three lights. This looks yeah. like 20 to 30 or 40 lights, the way you've shot it.
1: Yeah. But the only way I can get the individual parts of a car or a bike is to zone in on each part and think about how I'm lighting that part to make the best out of it. I look at a vehicle a bit like a boudoir photographer would look at a female body if that makes sense.
0: It does, it does.
1: I'm looking for the lines, I'm looking for the shapes, I'm looking for the the curves on the bike or the curves on the car that make it unique.
0: This is so cool. Okay, you've blown my mind here. So you frame up your image with your camera on the tripod. Yeah. You get your exposure how you want it. You take a shot. Everything stays the same except the lights. You keep moving the lights. So you keep the same exposure, the same framing. Yeah. You just move the lights. Yeah. Okay. And you'll do that up to 20 times.
1: Yeah. I mean, some images, the car images actually don't take as much. The car images probably take about five to 10 images max. The bikes take more because there's so much detail in the bike. You've got the exhaust, you've got the tank. Tanks, by the way, are, um, if anybody from here goes to play with photographing bikes after this, tanks are the hardest part of shooting a bike. I personally believe, because that is the one thing that changes on every single bike you shoot. So there is no formula for shooting a tank (laughs) or a front end really because the headlights are the same, but, you know, you can get less variations of front ends of bikes as you can tanks.
0: (laughs) Okay. Is it difficult because of the reflections?
1: The shape of the tank. So every tank is moulded differently. So some have dips in them. Some will be shaped round. Some will be shaped like in a diamondy type shape. They're all different, very, very different from each other. And where the logo is as well, because you want the logo to be clear.
0: Okay. So you just keep moving the lights around depending on the subject to make it look as good as you possibly can in camera.
1: Yeah. And then there's that trick when I first started, I see if I look back at some of the stuff I did at the beginning, there's also that trick of like you just said to me, I've blown your mind because you wouldn't have realised it was layered, but it's also creating the light and moving the light around so it doesn't look layered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: If that makes sense. It does. Like You want to be careful of having too many conflicting lights and it looking really weird.
0: <laughs> well, you don't have that. That's why I'm blown away. I mean, yeah, you, like I see, you really have. You've blown my mind with these images. So, okay, so you, you take a series of 20 or 30 images and that's to create one piece of art yeah and i'm guessing you do that over and over again you know at that location or at different locations right yeah okay so what happens in post So you've walked away at the end of the day you are happy you've got a bunch of really big files oh yeah do they come into lightroom (laughs) to photoshop or something else I wanted to jump in here quickly and just share a little bit about Imagine AI, who are responsible for making this episode possible today. I said earlier that if you are looking to outsource your editing or you want to cut down your editing time, then you really need to look at Imagine AI as a solution for you. And the reason, the reason this is so important if you want to be successful as a photographer is because the less time you can spend Per client, the more chance you have of creating a larger income and more profits through your photography. Now, let me explain exactly what I mean here. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Elle Payne from Always Bell Photography. And in that interview, she shared she had been generating over $180,000 as a part-time photographer. So she would spend two to three days per week on photography. And then she was a nurse the other days of the week. So $180,000 from two to three days a week as a photographer. Now, there was a question immediately after that in the members' Facebook group about how this is possible. And straight away, Elle plus photography business coach Joel Dunn jumped in because Joel has an equally profitable photography business. And they both said the secret to making so much income from photography was by reducing the amount of time you spend per client as much as possible. Now, in Joel's and Elle's case, they spend around four hours per client. Now, that is from start to finish. Now, the the reason that's possible is because they have their editing time down to an absolute minimum. In Joel's case, he has staff looking after his editing. Elle is outsourcing her editing to a paid staff member. But here's the really, really cool thing. You can use Imagine AI and you don't need to have a staff member. You don't need to find someone to outsource to. You don't need to talk to another human being and train them to edit in your style. What you do is you do your culling after a session, then you upload your Lightroom catalogue to Imagine AI, and the software will have learnt your style because you've already uploaded previous catalogs, so it's got to know exactly how you edit. So once it has your profile developed, then anytime after a session you upload your culled photo catalog from Lightroom, it comes back to you within minutes, like literally within minutes, and your photos are edited. Now, you have to see these edits to believe how good they are, And if you do any tweaking to the edits afterwards, then what you do is you re-upload those edited files back to Imagine AI so the software continues to learn your editing style. It's refining all the time and getting to know your style. Like like it's unbelievable. It really is artificial intelligence. It's less than $0.05 per image to do your edits. So this is super affordable and has to be seen to be believed. Now, they're not looking to replace Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever editing software you use. The guys behind Imagine AI, who I've interviewed on the PhotobizX podcast, have designed this software to help you with your editing without having to outsource. That's the whole idea of it. So if you're spending a lot of time editing and you want to free up that time to either serve more clients bring in more clients, or have more time with your family, with your kids, for leisure, give the free trial a run and see what you think. To check it out, head over to photobizx.com forward slash AI, photobizx.com forward slash AI. Alrighty, we're going to hop back into this conversation with Michelle and keep talking editing in Michelle's style, <laughs> which you will hear takes more than what most photographers are spending on their files. Here's Michelle.
1: I use Photoshop and Bridge. I've tried to use Lightroom many, many times. <laughs> I just don't get on with it. So I'm a, a Bridge camera Raw, Photoshop person, so that's where they head for me. There's obviously a collection of images, for example, the close-up details that I do that are one-image shots. I don't, those ones will never be, 20 or 30 images so there will be a variety of one-shot images in there as well otherwise I wouldn't get to the number that I got to because it can take quite a while to shoot the one shot otherwise um just as a so there is a mix of them in there but yes photoshop and bridge and I'll kind of go through and choose the ones that are gonna that light the bike or the car the best
0: so you've got a whole series of images. Is the client seeing all of these images or are they choosing their favorites before you start editing?
1: No, I'm going through and choosing all the favorites first. I will do a very light composite. which depends. If like at the moment, because obviously we've had that break, I'm doing detailed edits now because I'm going to use them anyway for social media, the website, things like that. So I'm doing a full-on edit. If Um, When I'm busy, then it tends to be a light composite where I bring it through, but I might not brush the edges fully. So there'll be like a layered image for me to go back to and just touch up if that's the one they choose.
0: Okay. So let's say the client has chosen their favorite image. Will you have all 20 images in a stack inside open in Photoshop and all laid on top of each other? And how do you work with that?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I have one image with them all stacked.
0: <laughs> okay. How do you work with it? What do you do? What's the process?
1: Um, I mean, it's fairly, it's just each image is masked. So I'll start off with a base image, usually one that might be a little bit lighter than the exposure I did for the final images, just because I, uh, depending on how dark it is, I just want to be able to see where the car is or where the bike is fully. So then I paint all the individual parts of the bike in and then I'll have a separate image that does the background. So I do the background separately so the file isn't so big. <laughs>
0: okay. So you're using layer mask after layer mask after layer mask on each different layer. Yeah. And are you, um, I don't know, if compressing or uh, combining those layers as you go? Are they all separate until the very end?
1: So you have to be really, really careful. And I learned this early on that if you make a mistake and you've compressed them, you can't go back. You have to start from the beginning. And that is a pain in the bum. Uh,
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So what I tend to do is I'll do the, that's why I do two separate images now, one with the background. So I do all the background and one for the vehicle itself. And then I keep all those layers. And then when I go to touch up, the layers, I'll compress them, but I'll save a new file so that I've still got all the layers if I have to go back. So I'm not going back as far as having to start again.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you just got redundancy built in along the way. So you can always go back a certain amount of steps without going back to the beginning.
1: Yeah. Just, I learned really early on that it's really hard work when you have to go back to the <laughs>
0: Yes. I can imagine. <laughs> Now, let me take you back. I think we've sort of skipped a step here. So let's say you finish photographing me with my R1. When do I get to see the photos and choose my favourites?
1: So it's usually about two weeks later. That's when I aim to do the viewing. The viewings for me are done online, like this, but with video. Luckily, you can't see me at 5 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) So usually we book a time Quite often it's in the evening. I'll give them sort of a heads up that they need to make sure if they can, it's on a nice screen. It's been really nice since lockdown because people are now used to doing this. (laughs) So good. So, yeah, so they've now got it all set up where they've been doing the family Zooms, so they now all understand how to do it. And, yeah, so it's about two weeks. This year I've just started, and I can't tell you how it's going to go yet sending them a little viewing box where I'm putting like some chocolate and popcorn and things in. Nice. (laughs) And I'm putting it in the post to them. So this is something that uh, I've been getting deliveries from a crystal lady on Instagram and she keeps putting little presents in there. And I'm just so excited every time I get them (sighs) that I've decided to incorporate that into my business in any way I can. I like that. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be sending them a little like thing so they can sit down and they've got like snacks as I do the, the viewings.
0: Great. And then are you sharing your screen using Photoshop or Bridge or something else?
1: Yeah, I just literally use Bridge.
0: Wow, okay. <laughs> okay, so and they're picking their photos. So let's say okay, I fall in love with this one particular image and then what are you saying? Is that the one you want in the 40 by 60?
1: Yeah, well, you actually, they find it quite hard to pick. So we usually narrow it down to X amount. And then we'll kind of compare them and we'll chat about and I'll chat to them about which one do you want as the main or the big one on the wall. Sometimes it ends up being two. Sometimes it's just the one and we'll find that first. But then I've still got all their extra favorites. And there's a couple of different ways they can go with that. They can either do some small ones around the house or some some not so small ones and just go to like, they've gone for a 40 by 60, but they're going to go for a 30 by 40 or a 24 by 20 or something like that. And they can also do an album. I only offer the album alongside wall art. So they don't get that as an only option, but I found that especially people who are couples, they prefer to have an album as well.
0: Love that. Okay. So these are your upsell options after they've chosen their large wall art piece.
1: Yeah. And they have all those prices beforehand. So they know them all. They're there. They're they're. I'm very upfront. Whereas when I had my high street studio, I wasn't necessarily as upfront. They kind of got it after the session when I was doing family portraits. Because they never really understood the experience, I don't think, until they'd been in and had it done. But whereas with this, they're almost invested it's it's yeah I just don't feel like I'm selling
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's so good I mean yeah look it sounds to me like these are pre-qualified clients because they've seen you at a show or they've seen your work in the motorcycle store or the car showroom and they've said I want that and then you tell them the price and they're not coming in unaware of what they might be spending no so good So they place their order. Do you take payment then over Zoom while you go away and work on the images or do they pay when they collect?
1: I get them to pay by backs. I used to have a, or I'll send them a Stripe invoice. I used to have a card terminal. I wouldn't actually take it over Zoom. I would phone them straight after the Zoom and take it over the phone. I don't know why I just had an issue with doing it over Zoom. I didn't want anything to happen. Like, I don't know how it, you know all works I just felt like a phone call was more secure um but the terminal itself because I now only shoot say 20 to 30 a year whereas when I had the high street studio I was doing you know 12 sessions a week the terminal wasn't worth it anymore so I send them the stripe or I ask them if they prefer to pay through stripe or uh, backs and then I send that to them and to be honest I've never had an issue they they've all paid straight away because they're so excited about what they want.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so you got payment, I guess you place your order. Do you get delivery of the products to you or do you get them drop shipped straight to the client?
1: Drop ship. Drop drop ship <laughs> to the client. <laughs> that, that was dangerous. That's
0: tricky at 5 a.m., isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was very dangerous. Um unless they're local to me because if they are local to me then I want to hand deliver them because I I like the personal touch, but unfortunately, because of the fact that my travel is so extensive, I can't do that
0: all the time. So you must have a lab. You must be working with a lab that you're confident will, you know, pick up any issues if there are any.
1: Yeah, I work with Loxycolor over here, who are in Scotland. So it also means because they're over here, you know, it's that kind of it's easy to get it sorted and fixed if there is anything
0: so good so why do you limit yourself to you know 20 to 30 sessions a year it sounds like you could be doing more
1: in honesty I've got so much I love doing and I like teaching so I teach photography and I teach how to do the automotive lighting I'm also teaching and starting my mindset side of the business as well for photographers and There's so much I love doing that to fit it all in, (laughs) I need to be able to do that. And plus, we have quite an issue over here in winter. So bikes, especially, cars are going to be slightly different. So it's going to be interesting to see this winter what difference that makes um, shooting cars as well. But bikes get put away as soon as the salt goes down on the roads, especially any special bikes. So. For me, the whole of winter is pretty much out of shooting.
0: Right. Okay. So you really have to make hey, mother sun's shining.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of why there's less because then I can I can make sure I've got that time. And I learned early on when I have my high street studio, I was working seven days a week, twelve hour days, and I burnt myself out. That was one of the reasons for making the shift into automotive photography. Other than I absolutely love the creativity side of it. But I burnt myself out and I started hating shooting almost. And I never want that to happen with this because I have such a passion for the cars and the bikes that I would hate to overshoot and not want to shoot again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I can totally understand that. And I'm sure there are listeners that can relate to exactly what you're saying now about that, um, you know, overbooking, overworking and getting to a point where you just dislike work, dislike photography because it's purely a job. Yeah. Let me take you back to one little thing I didn't ask Michelle is, do you outsource any of the editing or are you doing it all yourself?
1: I do it all myself. That's (laughs) another reason to do 20 to 30 shoots
0: a year. I'm scared to ask, but how many hours go into, you know, one of these 40 by 60 prints?
1: A lot. Uh, The worst bit at the moment is the cars because they're so new to me. I've only done three car shoots now. So one car image will take me a full day's edit. Sometimes it will take me two days edit because I have a hissy fit and can't work out why it didn't work. (laughs) And I have to walk away and come back again. (laughs) The bikes is probably about half a day now for the individual images. But don't forget that I shoot those one images as well. So there might be two or three of the layered images And then the rest are going to be one-shot images from the session.
0: Okay. And one thing I didn't ask earlier is do you have to get or do you ever have to get permission to photograph in the locations that you use?
1: So far not. Everywhere it depends. I have shot in somebody's garden before, which was absolutely amazing. And the riders themselves wanted to be in that garden and we had to get permission for that, obviously. The only thing was I could never show them on social media and I was so gutted. because It was so beautiful But they just didn't want their garden well known because it was honestly it was just they had pub signs and little fake pubs in their garden. It was just amazing. (laughs) So I was never allowed to show them. So it does depend on the location, but you'd be surprised on my Instagram. There's a lot where I show you the before and after of the location. I pretty much shoot anywhere light. If you understand light, you can create anything you want.
0: Yes. So true. Yeah.
1: And, you know, that means I can go to a random industrial area that is just closed. And I tend to shoot on a Sunday because around here, that's when everything is closed. And I can I can just shoot there.
0: That's so good. I can only see a couple of car photos so far that you have there because you've only shot a couple, but you've got, I know you do. I was going to ask you about the registration number. So on Instagram, I can see the registration number, but on your website, you've taken it off. Is that just up to you or the client?
1: Do you know what? It's, It's a really difficult situation to know what the best thing to do is. I always ask my client. So I always say to them, does it matter? And most of the ones that have already shoved it all over social media don't mind. They're not fast because it's already open access. But I am, you know, it's really hard one. I'm like, do I, don't I? And so for my website, I've taken them all off. But what I'm actually doing at the moment, and I'm so excited, is I'm ordering some number plates done with my logo on.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: And I'm literally going to stick them over the number plates.
0: That's a cool idea. So
1: that then this issue is no longer an issue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I prefer the look of the number plate. I think it looks more real. So I think what you're going to be doing is a great idea.
1: Yeah, I don't like it without, which is probably why I've put it on the social media with them. But it's that, I just think it looks wrong when it's clear, but I'm going to get black ones with like a silver, the silver name on so that it's it's subtle. And, and I think black will look better because the black's not going to, detract from the car in the same way the white does
0: true that's gonna look cool cool. Um, let me take you back to something you said right at the beginning Michelle you said COVID and this period has been a real eye-opener for
1: me what did you
0: mean by that
1: so I'm a workaholic (laughs) hi I'm Michelle and I'm a workaholic (laughs) and I don't know why I've always been that way I always like to run at about 100 miles per hour. And COVID forced me to realize that if I take a day off, the world does not fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) There's no sky falling in on me. There's no um, kind of, yeah, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. And it's made me reassess what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. And it forced me to step back from my business and go right what is working what isn't working what do I want to do and it really gave me that time whereas before COVID I was so in the business I forgot to step back and that's been really really important mindset shift for me massively throughout the last sort of 12 plus months I mean I've been into my mindset for years and years but it's just that that real realisation because you can end up working at 100 miles per hour and not taking the time out. And I also surprised myself by understanding that some of my values have changed. I think, you know, from very young, I was like, oh, I want to be a millionaire. I want to do this. I want to own houses. I want to blah, blah, blah. And now I've realised for me, money isn't actually a massive thing in my life anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, my average sales are great, but What's important to me is to be able to be creative in my shoots. Again, why I'm only shooting sort of 20 to 30 max a year, being able to give my clients me and also having the time to do other things that I enjoy is really, really important to me. And part of lockdown, you know, it's forced me, I've started reading books again I've started to do other hobbies that take my mind away from the business. And I quite often get a lot of ideas when I'm doing these other things. So, yeah, I'm hoping, and I've said this a few times today, that that makes sense. (laughs) It
0: absolutely does. It absolutely does. For the listener who's listening or has listened to what you've just shared, you know, for the last 45 minutes and thought, you know, I'm passionate about cars or motorcycles or whatever they're into And they think, I would really love to give this a try. Do you think if you're an established wedding or portrait photographer, you can go in and charge, you know, the the type of money that you're charging? If they have the skills, can they charge that right away? Or do you have to build up to that?
1: I pretty much charge what I'm charging straight away. Great. I had a lower sitting fee, but then I didn't offer the smaller wall portrait with it. It was just a sitting fee, so it's 125 is where I started at. The products, though, were very similar in price. They've just they've gone up slightly. They've not gone up massively. So, yeah, you can do if you have the skills.
0: I love that. That's so good. That's really good news to hear. I'm so glad that, that was the answer. <laughs> and I'm sure the listeners also thinking, okay, I heard Michelle say she can teach me how to do this lighting if I'm not familiar with how to do it. Is that only for UK people, or do you teach this online as well?
1: I'm really sorry, it's UK people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I'd love to teach it online. There's a few webinars around. I can't remember where, but there are a few webinars I've done. I think it was Loxy Color that you can actually access on their Facebook page, which does actually go through my lighting. So, there is a basic one on there um I'm actually I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna be scared because I don't want everybody messaging me but if you do message me I do aim to get back in 48 hours if you do have a question it's not a problem (laughs) I would like to travel more to teach I am actually looking at photographing in Portugal and doing a workshop over there as soon as we're allowed to start traveling Michelle, um,
0: Michelle, why have you not thought about creating a course online that, you know, the that, that people can learn from you via Zoom or download and see how you photograph, how you set up the lights and how you edit?
1: It's just that the getting someone to video me <laughs> doing it and talking through it and that kind of side. I love the in person thing of being able to physically show them. And answer the questions there and them, and allow them to light but it is a really good question and it is one that I should potentially look at
0: (laughs) but so what you're saying is if we live in Australia or New Zealand or Canada or the US we could make an excuse a good excuse for a holiday in the UK go and learn about lighting from you and have it as a tax write-off
1: yeah there you go and if enough of you message me going, please, please, can you do something online? I, I probably will. Look <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, that's so good. That's so good. Look, Michelle, this has been so good to talk to you. I know you also mentioned you are teaching photographers. What's your focus there when you are helping other photographers?
1: Uh, so this, the two areas is obviously the lighting workshops, but then it is also mindset. I think mindset is really super important within business. You need to be happy. You need to have that creativity. And, you know, it's that so many people don't have the self-belief to be able to stand there and go, right, it's, it's 495 for the session. You know, it's that kind of, they feel like they there's the word at the moment, isn't it? It's imposter syndrome procrastination, productivity, all of this stuff is actually based on your mindset. And especially cuz I've had a lot of time over the last a year or so, the amount of study I've done on understanding the brain and how our brain puts habits in and dopamine and how we get dopamine hit by procrastinating and it's just fascinating. So I've launched a mindset course which runs 3 times a year. just started this one. So the next one, I don't know when this podcast goes out, but the next one is going to be in January. And there's a free five-day mini workshop. But I wish I'd had something like this back when I burnt out from the studio because I've been there. I burnt out. I had to reassess everything. And if you're not careful, your mindset and how you run your life that will happen. I'd love to be able to stop that from happening to people.
0: Yeah, that's lovely.
1: Did you say
0: free five-day mini workshop?
1: Yeah. So because I want people to see how they, you know, if they like the course, if they like what I discuss and like me, I think that's super, super important. I do a couple of free five-day mini workshops. So it's literally five days in a row. You can either attend the live or you can watch the recording. The next one is at the end of October. Again, I don't know what time this is going out. And then there'll be one in December. <laughs> and um, I do that just so you can see if it resonates with you and it's something that you want, because that's really important to me. The same with my bikes. I want to attract people that are aligned with me and that truly want what I do and help people with. So that's really important to me.
0: That's lovely. Okay. So where's the best place for the listener to go and learn about those workshops and the introductory course from you?
1: So you can access them via my automotive website, which is shpak.co.uk. I so hope you're writing that somewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So for the listener, shpak is (laughs) S-Z-P-A-K. S-Z-P-A-K.co.uk.
1: Yeah, that's my automotive side and there's a photographer button on there. Um, There is a direct website, but that will take you there. But it's basically photographersmindset.com is the website for the mindset stuff.
0: Fantastic. Look, Michelle, what I'll do is I'll add links in the show notes to your automotive website, your mindset website, also to your Facebook, Instagram Looks like you've got an account on 500px as well. So I'll add links to anywhere and everywhere that I can find. Thank you. And I want to say massive thanks for getting up at the ridiculous hour of 4 4 a.m. to (laughs) record this. Thank goodness for Red Bull. You have been amazing. So thank you so
1: much. (laughs) I'm glad I've made sense and and I don't think you need that disclaimer at the beginning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michelle Spack. Michelle, if you're listening, again, thank you so much for coming on, sharing everything you did. Your imagery is just fantastic, and I absolutely love everything you shared today. So again, massive thanks for coming on and sharing what you did. For you, the listener, I do hope there were a ton of takeaways. I hope at the very least you love hearing about Michelle's business and the niche that she's created for herself. If you do have a follow-up question for Michelle, You can hit her up in the comments area of the show notes. And this week they are at photobizx.com forward slash tpx30. There's a comments area at the very bottom of the show notes. Now in those show notes, I've got a stack of images, including the ones we were talking about with the Yamaha motorcycle and the car. It's all there in the show notes. Plus I've got links to anywhere and everywhere you can find Michelle. And do yourself a favor, go and check out Michelle's website, at SPAC.co.uk. And spack is S-Z-P-A-K.co.uk. And again, I've got links in the show notes, so it's easy to find her wherever you spend your time online. Before we close out today's episode, again, a massive thanks to Imagine AI for sponsoring and making this episode possible. If you are looking to cut down your editing time, if you want to be more profitable in your business, go and check out Imagine AI. Put them to the test. See what it's like. You've got nothing to lose. There's a free trial there. Head over to photobizx.com forward slash AI for more details on that. Other than that, get out there, be creative, stay motivated, be safe, healthy, and well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. you have been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotobizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business.
1: To learn more, head to photobizx.com.